Greetings, children, and welcome to my chamber. My name is Rotherick Gastblood, and I'm your host of Tales from the Dark Chamber. This week, we have a great show for you. Tales to make your skin crawl. Each week, my chambermate and I read a scary tale that we found on the internet, or perhaps left under some corpse. Either way, we think you're going to like it, and we're just dying for you to hear it. So sit right back, light a candle, and let's have a ghoul evening. Rothrick. Yes. Rothrick. Yes. Rothrick. Woody, for the last time, what for the love of dirt is it? There's. There's a person outside peeping in on my jeepers. He's. He has large eyes, a huge head, smooth skin, and. Woody, didn't your encounter. With the fifth element, teach you anything? You mean the close encounter of the third kind with the aliens last week? Yes. Well, they were short and green and had black eyes and... Woody, first off, did you just come from out of the shower? Yeah, that's where I saw him. And... And did you towel off the water yet? Um, no... Not yet, but... And did you remember to put on clothes? Or at least wrap a towel around yourself before you arrived in here? Dripping water everywhere. I... Uh, I'll be right back. Yeah, I guess that was a little awkward. Really? You don't say. And here I was, thinking you were starting a new ninny trend. You know, Rothrick, you really need to take that comedy show on the road. But I did find out what that mysterious image was in the window. And? Oh, yeah, it was the poster the aliens gave me. They like me so much, they gave me this poster, this nightlight, this bobblehead, and this... Well, Woody, I'm certainly glad you had a great time with him. However, may I direct your attention to the floor. The wet floor. Oh, did I do that? But that does remind me of tonight's story. We read the second part of Watchers by B. Young. Lucas, Miss Wilson, and Detective Smith confront the mysterious image in the window. Enjoy. I investigate disturbing stories. Here are my stories. Watchers, Part 2, by B. Young. By the end of the day, we had racked up a decent amount of overtime and exhausted all potential avenues. 
When it was all said and done, we had exactly as much information as we had started with. It seemed impossible. If there was really a guy running around peeping on kids, how could no one have seen anything? I wrote up my report for the day and planned to take a fresh look at things in the morning. However, I didn't get that comfort as I heard my phone buzz at two in the morning with Miss Wilson frantic on the other end. It happened again. Acting on instinct, I immediately threw on the first pair of clothes I can find and sped down to the house. Crookedly parking in the street, I jumped out of my car and ran around the perimeter, looking for the man. When I didn't see anything, I called for any available police officers to be on the lookout for a man, potentially wearing a mask, fitting the description Lucas had given me the previous day. I waited with Miss Wilson and Lucas inside while a couple of officers searched the area and talked with neighbors. The fear in the eyes of the young boy said a lot, and the way his mother hugged him tight and whispered in his ear, no doubt with words of comfort and love, made the nonverbal aspect of the situation speak that much louder. As time went on, it was the same story. We searched and came up with absolutely nothing. But then, that moment made me believe this went beyond the lack of evidence. Something was deeply wrong. Deep down, I knew what Lucas was seeing was real. I contemplated the fact that the way we're looking at this was off. I needed a different approach, and maybe Miss Wilson was right the first time. Perhaps we just need to sit and wait for the guy to show. The next day, I spoke to the chief about my lack of progress and suggested this new strategy. I figured that if we keep arriving late to the scene, then Miss Wilson's request should be granted. Despite the lack of evidence, I told him I was confident that the boy's concerns were real and that we needed to take him seriously. Surprisingly, he went for it, but only on the condition that I was the only guy on the surveillance duty in case I caught something extra. We made an arrangement to significantly cut back my office time so that I could spend between four and six hours parked in front of the Wilson home. The first couple of days were incredibly uneventful. Admittedly, I spend more time playing games on my phone and watching videos than I probably should have. In my defense, surveillance is goddamn awful. Seriously, try sitting and looking down at a dark, empty street for 30 minutes by yourself, and you'll see what I mean. The third day was when things took a turn for the horrible. At precisely one in the morning, the light flicked on in Lucas's room, and my gut screamed at me that this was it. But there was a problem. I didn't see anyone outside Lucas's window as it happened. The outside was just as empty as it had been the previous two nights. Either way, I rushed towards their home with a gun in hand. For the second time, I ran around the house shouting for anyone hiding in the dark to come out and surrender, checking any potential hiding places I went. And still, nothing. I was standing around in the cold, looking down an empty street, thinking how dumb I must have looked. I was screaming in the air, waving around a pistol like a crazy person. In a lot of neighborhoods, I'm the exact guy people would have called the cops on. <laughs> it's one of the many moments in my career that I had to shake my head and ask myself, what the fuck am I doing? I didn't know if this family was messing with me, if it was all in the kid's head, or if it was some third option I hadn't explored yet. Either way, there was a deep frustration, one that was different from other cases. See, I could deal with having the puzzle pieces and not yet figuring how to put them all together. But when you don't know if you have any of the pieces at all, or if you're even completing a puzzle, it makes you question what the hell you're even doing with your life. I fully intended to confront the two over this. If they were messing with me, then there'd be hell to pay. 
but when I finally entered the house, I was quickly met by Miss Wilson. She insisted on showing me something never in a million years I would have expected. The large imprint of a hand was staring back at me from the other side of the window. I yanked out my phone and quickly went to take a picture, but before I could even raise the phone to take a snapshot, it was gone. A million questions flooded my mind. I had been staring directly at the window when the lights were turned on. I ran around the whole damn house, and there wasn't an iota of evidence that a person was out there. I called in for an officer to come by and help me collect evidence in case there was some piece of DNA we could gather. Still, in waiting for them, I wanted to talk to Lucas and Miss Wilson again. My conversation with them was standard. I asked the basic questions I've asked people a million times before. What did you see? Did you hear anything? Was anything off today? Etc. Nothing of note came back. The eventual searches for DNA also left me with nothing. All that I could tell them was that I'd try again tomorrow, and I recommended they stay with family or in a hotel for the rest of the night. As I was walking out of the house for the second time to regroup for the next day, Miss Wilson stopped me at the door. Do you have any children, Detective Smith? she asked. Her question froze me for a moment. It took me a second to regain my composure before I turned around and replied with a clumsy, uh, uh, why do you ask? My first thought was, I do everything for him, but I knew that wasn't the type of response she was searching for. Be there. Be there to protect him at all costs. That's what a good parent does. Yeah, it is, she replied softly. Please take care of my son as if he was yours. I nodded in understanding and walked out without saying another word. I was doing the best to phase the night's events out of my mind. My mind was buzzing. How in the hell could there have been a handprint? I was there the entire time and saw nothing. No person came up and there certainly weren't any cars. I needed a new and innovative way to either catch this guy or convince the family to move out of town. By the time I got home, I had figured out a new angle to pivot towards. It was a solution so simple I'd almost laughed at myself for not doing this the day the chief gave me the case. I realized I needed to take my own advice and be there for Lucas. I decided I would sit inside Lucas's room every damn night until I was face to face with the bastard behind all of this. Miss Wilson was hesitant when I brought up the idea the next morning, which was understandable. But with some pushing and a phone call with Officer Ryan, whom she'd really seemed to take to, I eventually got the green light. Hopped up on energy drinks and the sheer force of will, I sat in a chair staring at that damn window as Lucas slept on the other side of the room. 10 p.m. Nothing. 11. Nada. The clock struck 12 and I was still seeing the same thing as before. One quickly slipped into two and I could feel my eyes starting to get heavy. I looked over at Lucas, who was illuminated by his nightlight, and I watched him for a bit. A small smile was on his face. The way he'd shift around ever so slightly indicated that he was having a dream. A good one. I'd seen that face many times before on a sweet sleeping child. At that moment, I couldn't help but reflect that smile back. Something about that moment reminded me why I was going so hard to protect this kid. An inner feeling to right a wrong. But I was so damn tired. My mind was sweet-talking me into the idea that a quick nap couldn't hurt. As my eyes slowly shut, my entire being was cut off from the world. Until I heard a scream. I quickly shot up from my position and snapped my neck towards Lucas, who was cowering in the bed, staring at something. 
I followed his line of sight to the window and couldn't believe what I was looking at. It was indeed a man of some kind, or twisted approximation of one. His entire pale head nearly filled the entire window. The massive eyes and dilated pupils were locked on the boy, and even as I reached for my gun and pointed it directly at him, he never broke his gaze. A thin, wrinkled mouth stretched from ear to ear in a neutral expression. Still, it heavily contrasted with the rest of his smooth and utterly hairless face. He also appeared to have a sizable beak-like nose that came to a point well below his thin lips. His nose almost seemed like an arrow pointing down to his rotund body and bone-thin arms, both sporting liver spots and long gray hairs. But perhaps the most disturbing thing about him was that he appeared to be completely two-dimensional. It was though he resided within the thin walls of the window instead of being on the other side of it. It was almost as if he was being projected onto the window, but that was impossible as there was no light coming from the other side of the window and no visible projector in Lucas's room. Lucas, move! Go, go to your mom and, and, and tell her to lock the door, I screamed. He didn't need to be told twice. In an instant, he was gone. After he was out of the room, I backed up towards the door, locked it behind me with one hand, and kept the gun pointed with the other. Now the man's massive eyes shifted towards me, and his lips went from a neutral to a thin smile. He spoke slowly in a deep, yet confidently calm manner. You shouldn't have done that, Detective Smith. If every single hair on my body wasn't already on end, they most certainly were now. I... How do you know my name? I shot back with false confidence. Knowledge is critical. I know you and your mistakes. We all do, he replied matter-of-factly. Who the hell is we? A society of people, no different from the one you live in. The way he talked down to me made me feel like I was a child speaking to an adult with decades more experience than I could ever dream of attaining. Still, trying to maintain my poker face, I squeezed my gun tighter and raised my voice a couple of octaves. And why is your society attacking this family? Why attack Lucas? Attacking? No, I'm simply observing. You are fascinating. You've been scaring the bejesus out of a 12-year-old boy, and you're doing it because he's fascinating? Don't give me that shit. He didn't reply. Instead, the imprint of two hands appeared on the window. Before I could understand what was happening, they pressed forward, warping the glass as if it were thin, malleable plastic. The hands began to stretch towards me, and memories of my encounter with the tall woman flashed in my mind. I wasn't about to let that happen again. I fired off three rounds into the window, hoping to destroy his only means of passage into this world, but the man kept on undeterred. Every instinct told me to get the fuck out of the house, but I knew he'd surely attack Lucas and Miss Wilson if I didn't stand as the last line of defense. Before I knew it, the hands were at my face. I squeezed my eyes shut and didn't open them again until I realized that they weren't hurting me. Instead, they were caressing my face. He was feeling my scraggly beard and running his fingers through my fade. I didn't know whether to feel fear or relief but I quickly figured out which way to lean when the hands violently wrapped around my cheeks and slammed the back of my head against the wall. I dropped my pistol in the commotion. As I struggled against his grip to pick it up, he pinned my face to the ground. He violently grabbed me by the arm and dragged me towards the window. 
I could see him looking at me, smiling in anticipation of what was to come next. His pupils were dilated and nearly filled the whites of his eyes. He forced one of my hands through the warped surface of the window, and all I can feel was this immense coldness. It was a cold like I'd never felt before. It was like dunking your hand in a bucket of ice on steroids. It sent waves of pain firing through every nerve in my body. Whatever impossible level of cold this was, I knew that frostbite was merely seconds away. It took all the strength I could conjure to yank my hand from his grasp. I writhed around the floor in agony, cursing the man above. I knew he enjoyed my pain. He took a moment to watch as I struggled to scoop myself against the door before speaking again. The boy belongs here with us. Deep down, he knows it. He wants to be with us. And maybe you do too. You've already seen the other side, detective. And it's always been unpleasant. You're all safer with us. Fuck you, I screamed. I dove for the pistol, shot up, and unloaded another few shots into the window with my good hand. But he was still there, smiling. In a rage, I began to bash out large holes with the butt of my gun. I had taken notice of the fact that the man was gone. All I was staring at was a large hole in the woods on the other side of the home. I needed a moment to relax. My heart was beating fast in my chest. I took a moment to sit on the bed and inspect the bruise on the back of my head and contemplate whether I needed or not to go to the hospital to check for a concussion. After a few minutes, I figured I was all right enough to call the chief and tell him why the neighbors would likely call soon about some multiple shots being fired. I told him to get dressed and get down here, and I'd fill him in on everything that happened. One deep inhale later, and I turned my attention back to Miss Wilson and Lucas. When I knocked on their door, they let me in only after I assured them that I wasn't the intruder. The first words that came out of her mouth were ones that I admittedly wasn't prepared for. What happened? She asked me with tears streaming down her face. This may have been the most challenging part of the night. Lucas had seen something truly horrible, and he knew that I had seen it too. I was someone he was supposed to trust. I was someone that was supposed to stand for truth and honor. I was someone that was supposed to be on his side, and yet, despite of all that, I was someone that lied about everything. It was a man in a mask and multiple others outside with him, and we had a confrontation. After going through some files at work, I actually believe him to be the guy we've dealt with before. He uses a device to jam security cameras, and his clothes make him incredibly difficult to see in the dark. That's why I couldn't see him in the first place. Look, once my chief is here, you can talk to him about everything. Complete bullshit. I hated myself more and more with every lie that came out of my mouth. Eventually, the chief arrived on the scene. I passed her off to him and a couple of other officers accompanying him. I recognized them as the two guys that went into the farmhouse with the tall woman. When the chief excused me to leave, I took one look back at Lucas as I went. He was staring at me with tears in his eyes and an unmistakable look on his face. It was also one I'd seen before. Disappointment. The boy had been through so much. Sometimes all a child needs to heal is validation. They want someone to acknowledge that they believe what they're saying is true. And what I did took any chance of that ever happening. It hurt. In the coming days, the two of them were relocated across the state. They were lied to about a dangerous type of mold growing under their home. 
They were also told a giant sinkhole was forming under the house, putting the whole property in danger. Ms. Wilson was led to believe that none of this could be fixed within a reasonable budget, so it made more sense to move. With the additional belief that it'd be a fresh start for Lucas, she obliged. My chief told me he did his best to keep up with him. From what he's heard, there haven't been any reports of anything unusual. This, of course, was fantastic to hear. I even opened up a special bottle of wine with Detective Joss one night to celebrate. In the following weeks, everything went back to normal. Everything outside my personal life, at least. We all go through periods where we feel like we're being watched. That feeling was coming on much more strongly than I had typically noticed. It didn't matter whether I was alone at home, driving in my car, or just taking a walk. I always seemed to catch myself doing a double-take, as if I'd heard something that sounded awfully close to a voice, or I'd seen a figure just out of the corner of my eye. This came to a head when, after a shower, I was doing my facial scrub routine in the mirror, when I undoubtedly saw a man behind my reflection. I nearly had a heart attack when it registered as that familiar large face. The man from Lucas's window was staring into my soul, a broad smile plastered on his face. I avoided looking at myself in any reflective surface for a month and a half after that. It was Nietzsche who remarked, If you gaze for long into an abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. I'm not sure if he understood how right he was but it's a phrase that holds more meaning to me more than almost any other. If anyone can help it, I urge them to avoid that abyss at all costs. The darkness that stares back into you is never worth satiating your curiosity. Stay safe, everyone. I investigate disturbing stories. Here are my stories. Watchers, Part 2 by B. Young. Well, folks, that's our story tonight. Rothrick and I hope you enjoyed it. We sure had a great time bringing it to you, and we really appreciate you listening. Tune in next week when we bring you another chilling tale from the dark chamber. And just a note, if you're an aspiring author and you want your story read here on Tales from the Dark Chamber, send us a note at talesfromthedarkchamber at gmail.com. If it creeps old Rothrick out enough, we'll air it and subscribe to our podcast for notification of our next new episode or subscribe to our YouTube channel at Tales from the Dark Chamber and follow us on Instagram or Twitter. If you want your story read for your own use or you just want to have it, check out my website at woodygvoiceover.net. You can order there or you can find me on Upwork as Woody G. And again, thank you for listening tonight.